Welcome to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Elliot Berlin. We've done a couple of episodes on lactation and breastfeeding, such as Breastfeeding Basics with Linda Hanna. But today, we're going to discuss breastfeeding with circumstances, such as non-birth mothers, breast augmentation or reduction, nipple piercings, difficult deliveries, and more. My guest today is a certified lactation educator counselor. She's a postpartum doula with a primary focus on being on lactation and chest feeding, and she's a wonderful mom and someone who I'm lucky enough to call a dear friend. Jamie Lipsky-Garcia, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks, Dr. B. It's really good to be here, finally. <laughs> it's true. I've been planning this for a while. Uh, the only thing about you that I wish is that you were more open and honest, but outside of that... <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm totally closed book. Yeah, I don't yeah. know anybody who keep tells it all you inside. <laughs> more like it is than you do. Um, before we jump into breastfeeding stuff, how did you get into this? Wow, quite a story. I was in television production my entire life. It was a MythBuster. I worked on the show for eleven years, busting myths. I was a fan before I even knew you. Well, there you go. I was a fan before I started working on the show. Oh, look at that. <laughs> which was awesome. But then I met my husband who is also in the television industry and is always away, as you know. And I realized once we got pregnant that we both could not work in this industry and raise our daughter the way we wanted to raise her. And while I enjoy watching how I met my stripper wife behind bars in the OC, it's not really something that I want to work <laughs> on. <laughs> So I went back to school and I got my qualifications in lactation and postpartum. What drove this, besides the fact that television wasn't as fulfilling as what it was before my daughter, was it really does take a village. And I think that this gets lost. And I think, you know, there's so much pressure on women nowadays to be a great mom, to be a great wife, to, you know, work and do all of this. And coming from a situation where neither Jason or I had a mother to take care of us, I really needed that support. And I had an incredible birthing team, you included. <laughs> I credit my delivery to you. Oh, um, thanks. I feel like you did most of the work. I don't know. I don't know. There's a couple of like, you know, hip openers and things that <laughs> definitely couldn't have happened without you. Uh -huh. But I didn't have those mothers and I didn't have that innate, close, you know, family people around me that would help me. And so I sought out people like yourself and my, my doula, Lori Bregman, who were just Erica Chidi who were just the most exceptional women I've ever met in my life and were just there and how they made me feel and how they guided me through the process was just such an eye opener. And I really wanted, I wanted everybody else, every other woman on the face of this planet, every other man on the face of this planet, every other family, every other parent to have that experience. And that's what made me do it. You said you had a great team of me mm -hmm. and Lori Bregman mm -hmm. and Erica Chidi. And it was the best group of women ever. Well, I mean. <laughs> it's okay. I relate. I relate. I'm, I have so much estrogen exposure every day. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. The greatest uh, woman and man. One man. And you're a man. So here's the thing. Yeah. So you became a lactation educator counselor. 
and you help people. You're part of that team now. I mean, mm-hmm. you guys didn't have your moms, but even, you know, I think so many people move away from their families that we just don't have the kind of support we used to have. That's and exactly right. So all these careers and professions pop up like uh-huh. childbirth educator and doula and lactation uh-huh. helpers and all those things used to just be there. They used to just be family members or village people. Yeah. You know, not the village people, but village people from your village. Because um, <laughs> that would be a weird group of birth. And maybe I, I could see it. And, I'm into it. YMCA. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, you wanted to be a part of that team. And the birth doula is a crazy part of that team. They have no, like, normalcy to their life. So the postpartum side is a little yeah. more structured. Absolutely. Kind of gives you what you were talking about, the ability to be there as a mom and also be there supporting other women. Yeah, I think as well, you know, you spend some time in prep. I hope, you know, it's one of the things that I like to work on is before is birth prep and pre before baby pre breastfeeding, but you have this baby and then, and then what? (laughs) Then there's this baby and now what? And now you have to feed it and take care of it and keep it alive. It's so much. So, you know. I was waiting after our first baby came out. I stuck around for a little bit. Uh, The placenta came out and then I was waiting for the... (laughs) user guide which never came out <laughs> ours came with no user guide <laughs> and also, shoots out. <laughs> yeah and also the like the 30-day you know trial guarantee you like return it <laughs> returns no returns no, no. take back to ours, ours must have been refurbished because none of those came with it um <laughs> when you had your baby was breastfeeding a question for you did you always know that you wanted to breastfeed so i did i mean and this is what I tell, you know, clients is that it's a really, and it's, it's the same with birth, I guess, is it's really good to have a plan, but children, babies have a real way of just knocking you on your butt. So have that plan, but, you know, be prepared to adapt and be flexible. So I knew I wanted to breastfeed. My goal was six months. Five years later, I found myself breastfed into a corner. Oh. <laughs> oh. You exchanged months for years. <laughs> I really did. But I knew that I wanted to do it. And I I loved the closeness that it, it brought for my daughter and I. And it was really wonderful. Did it come easy to you or did you have challenges? I had challenges. I think as everyone does, nothing worth having ever comes easy. And I find it's very rarely challenging in the way that you expect it to be. I knew I wanted it. I persisted with it. I eventually dropped the expectations, I think, that I had kind of had in my head and was more flexible and went with the flow. And that really helped. Is that a pun? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I don't know. Sometimes I got really let down. (laughs) (laughs) We could go on. (laughs) And on and on. Um. I don't want to milk it, though. So, (laughs) (laughs) okay, so let's jump into our topic here. We want to talk about unique circumstances with uh, breastfeeding. And it's not like we're doing an episode on breastfeeding because breastfeeding is the only way. Right. There's um, people who pump and bottle feed. There's people who formula feed. Lots of different options. But for someone who wants to breastfeed, there are sometimes circumstances that come up that play a role. Mm -hmm. So... I would ask this question 
before getting to very unique circumstances, does breast tissue in general play a role? Like how much breast tissue somebody has play a role in their ability to make milk and in their ability to adequately breastfeed? No, absolutely not. It's not a true indication whatsoever. I mean, that would be the easiest fix if you could plan that ahead. You know, if someone had a smaller chest as opposed to a larger one, you could be like, well, okay, so now we know we're going to have to work on your supply issues. I, I wish it was that easy, but definitely not. So not having a lot of breast tissue could still make tons of milk. And just because you have more breast tissue doesn't mean you're going to make, you know, it's a century. Actually, kind of reminds me of somebody um, with a friend who unfortunately she gave birth to triplets and um, oh, wow. vaginally, and then she oh. had complications afterwards, and she fell into a coma. And oh. um, she really wanted more than anything for her babies to have breast milk. And so, at the time, put out a call for people if anybody was breastfeeding and they could spare some milk um, to donate. To donate, and mm-hmm. you know, I remember driving up on Thursday nights through the uh, streets of Los Angeles with a cooler, picking up breast milk. And the one person... Gosh, you're the best human I've ever known in my life. <laughs> oh, that can't be true. And then the person who made the most, I mean, who just donated bags and bags and bags of yeah. milk. I'm like, where are you getting all this milk from? And for one thing, it's like hard to part with it. It's like liquid platinum when you have it. It really is. Really want to give it away. She's like one of the best humans ever on the planet. Yeah. But also, it was just like mind boggling because, you know, she, she's not a person with a lot of breast tissue and she just yeah. made tons of milk. But on the other side, so are there latching issues on either side? on either extreme? So there can be, but again, there are so many other factors that play into this. There's not just, you know, breast size, but it's also the type of nipple. It's the baby's mouth. You know, if there's a lip tie or a tongue tie that's involved, so many other factors that I wouldn't, you know, even consider chest size any type of telltale sign about about breastfeeding. You know, sometimes it's a question that people have is they wonder, will I be able to breastfeed because am I too big? Am I going to suffocate my baby? Am I too small? Am I not going to be able to latch or make milk? You're saying, wait till you get there. There's nothing specific you need to do ahead of time. Is that right? Yes. I would say know your options. So know about different positioning that will make it more comfortable for you and your baby to feed and to latch. That's so funny that you mentioned um, larger breasts and suffocating. It's such an, <laughs> I get this question a lot. And women are like, my breasts are too big. My nipples are too big. I'm literally, I'm going to suffocate my child. It's, it's really interesting, but everything in our bodies is structured that way for a purpose. And even a baby's nose, which will change over time, is severely flared, the nostrils. And so you can push a baby's nose completely flat down and that baby will still be able to breathe through little flare nostrils. So is it weird that I want to try that? <laughs> no, no that try, it. try it. Try it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like sitting here doing it right now. Like, I see that. Yeah, nobody else can see except for me. <laughs> I ask new moms to do that because it, it, they're like, no way. That's not true. I'm like, it really is. <laughs> it's incredible. Whoever put this all together, the little Knew features. Something. Yeah, that you don't even think about and how right. they work to you know, make survival happen. 
All right. We are just getting the ball rolling. We're going to take a quick break and come back with more breastfeeding under unique circumstances with Jamie Lipsky Garcia. Hey everyone, it's Dr. Berlin, and I want to talk to you about something that is close to my heart, literally, omega-3. It's a crucial nutrient that's sadly overlooked. With 95% of women deficient, Needed, the supplement brand I trust, created their brand new omega-3 soft gels. Designed by perinatal experts, they support you and your baby's well-being from fertility to pregnancy and beyond. Unlike other brands, Needed's Omega-3 is sustainable, pesticide-free, and third-party tested for purity. Plus, my favorite, it has a milder taste and smell, perfect for sensitive mamas. Don't wait. Visit thisisneeded.com and use code BERLIN to get 20% off your initial order. Experience the needed difference, consciously crafted for your health and the planet. Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. We are talking to Jamie Lipsky Garcia. Okay, let's talk about this a question that comes up all the time: mm. breastfeeding after having breast implants. Mm-hmm. Are there considerations? Is it possible? Is it change anything? So I have, in fact, have breast implants, and we all know my breastfeeding for situation. twenty years. Yeah, for like, yeah, I've been breastfed till college. <laughs> <laughs> problem when she goes away to college I'll just pump and send her like (laughs) yeah you just gotta schedule the classes around right (laughs) so it depends as with everything to do with breastfeeding it depends on the type of surgery what was done the incision I will say that especially nowadays surgeons are very savvy that most women will want to do this. And so if they're doing any areola cuts, they will be mindful of ducts and nerves that are there. So it may or may not interfere, but it's way less of a chance. Implants that are underneath the muscle, you have a better chance of successfully breastfeeding than those that are on top of the muscle. Uh, And that's just because Underneath the muscle, it doesn't really disturb any of the ducts or, you know, your, your tissue and nerves that are going into the nipple. When you got your implants, did you have breastfeeding in mind? I did. And I actually said that to my surgeon. I said that this was something that I want to do eventually. Is this going to be an issue for me? And we decided on a plan on a different type of cut. So I have a cut underneath my breast instead of through the nipple. And I have my implant underneath the muscle. And I never had a problem. Okay, so if somebody wants to breastfeed and they're getting breast implants, it's a conversation to have with the surgeon. Absolutely. And, and I think it's also something to think about yourself. I know that there's so many, been so many recalls with implants and silicone and so many people um, that might be a concern for them. So that would be something you know to think about and to talk to your surgeon about. But as far as I know, I think now they, they do mostly, it's all saline. So that's not even a worry in terms of leakage. Mm-hmm. Okay. What about the other way? Somebody who has a breast reduction. Mm-hmm. So I've had a few clients. I would say it's probably, probably like an 80-20 split between people that breastfeed successfully but need to supplement. And again, it depends on the scar that you have, the surgery, the amount of nerve damage that might have occurred 
Is that also a conversation to have with the surgeon ahead of time to preserve the ducts? Exactly. And And it's not necessarily something that you would know until you start to do it either. That's a tricky part of it too, is why, again, I'm so, this is just one of, you know, the perfect examples of having a plan, but being flexible around it. In the first segment, we talked a little bit about breast tissue, larger or smaller breasts. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned, but it also has a lot to do with nipple type. Are mm-hmm. there certain nipple types that are more or less conducive to breastfeeding? And if so, are there things that people should know ahead of time or things they can do ahead of time to increase their success with breastfeeding? So there's always things, you know, that you can do depending on what type of condition you have. The thing about nipples and breastfeeding, and it sounds like nipples are so important because it's, you know, breastfeeding. But actually, once the baby is latched, the nipple isn't anywhere near the baby's mouth. It's actually all the way down the back of the baby's throat. And how the baby actually, I wish I could actually show you this Nova diagram. <laughs> but once the baby's latched, the suction and the way the tongue moves is all above the areola. It's around the areola. And the actual nipple part is shoved way down the back of the baby's throat. So you can have a flat nipple or, you know, a bifurcated nipple, which is uh, basically two nipples on one. It looks like two tiny little mountains or any type of deformity, that doesn't really play much of a role. There's a way around it. It's definitely a learning curve, you know, when you have a different type of nipple, like, you know, there's certain positions that you would want to avoid, you know, flat nipples, things that you can do to ridge the breast so that the baby can get a proper latch, a deeper latch, so that the tongue of the baby is not just flicking on the nipple. Is that something that they can work on ahead of time? Uh, so they do, <laughs> for lack of a technical term, they make nipple poppy outy things. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I just got that bug bite thing that sucks the venom out of bug bites. And I thought that's a weird name for it. That bug bite thing. Nipple but, but now but the nipple poppy outy thing. Yeah, is it, so is it like a is, suction device? One of, <laughs> one of them is actually called the nipplet. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not far off from the truth. Oh. <laughs> and it's almost a little suction device that you can use to kind of pop out an inverted or flat nipple right before you breastfeed your baby that could help with latch. But again, you know, these things, once you find a rhythm of breastfeeding, the nipples become less important. And I guess it's more, you know, that initial setting up your latch, that nipples are more of an issue. Okay. If you do it enough times, do they stay born permanently? So <laughs> horrible. And I'm so sorry for every person who's ever thinking about breastfeeding. Um, yes, sometimes they do. <laughs> I do. Okay. <laughs> because even mine, like, you know, and they tend to like point in different directions. So you like never know where they're looking. But what happens <laughs> with the baby suctioning, it does tend to elongate them and this can or cannot be permanent. And I've seen more women than not that do have permanently elongated nipples, depending on, you know, the time they've breastfed for. There you have it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's talk about piercings. Yes. Can you breastfeed with piercings? You can. Again, 
it's something you might want to keep in mind if you know you want to breastfeed in the future. A friend of mine, a very, very dear friend of mine had nipple piercings and she had absolutely no problems. The only strange, <laughs> the only strange thing was that milk would kind of pop out one of the oh, holes. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, did it she is, take it out to feed? Oh, yes. Always. That's always, what I wonder. Always. It's a choking out, hazard. Yes. Take out any jewelry. It, not just a choking hazard, but it will definitely interfere with the baby's latch and the suction. Yeah, definitely take it out before you want to breastfeed. But it shouldn't cause too much of a problem. I've never seen it. And I'm not to say that it doesn't happen, but I've, I haven't come across it. But just that sprinkler effect. Yeah, just kind of like, you know, squirt the baby in the eye. Like, <laughs> <laughs> fire hose. Squirt yourself in the eye. <laughs> okay, let's take another little break. Okay. When we come back, I have lots more questions for you. Don't Can't go anywhere. Wait. We'll be right back. <laughs> Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. We're talking to Jamie Lipsky Garcia. Such a good friend. I'm having a great time with you, as always. Yay, me too. Time is moving fast, so I'm going to jump right into yeah. the next set of questions. Okay. Yeah. Do you have to give birth to a baby to breastfeed? Absolutely not. Um, the miracle of the human body, it's absolutely insane. The only thing that you do need to have a placenta for is to produce colostrum. Um, okay. But you don't have to have a baby to breastfeed. In fact, there are genetically male parents out there that have breastfed their child. How do you go about doing that? Because I, <laughs> oh, you take a, you take a it's hormone. Cool. So um, prolactin is a miracle hormone. So it's really a case of, you know, hormones with enough prolactin and enough prolactin receptors that get set up in the brain, which usually happen with a, a breastfeeding mother, usually happen in, in days zero to three. They set up these receptors in your brain and that tells your body to make milk, and mm. that's prolactin. And there are so many um, galactagogues and wonderful Western medicine and Eastern medicine nowadays that actually promote an incredible supply. I want to, too, because I know that some people, when they're breastfeeding, they have a hard time losing, let's say, their last several pounds that they mm -hmm. put on during the pregnancy, and other people just, like, it sucks all the weight out of them. Yeah. And become, so I was trying to latch my son to see if I could suck some of the weight <laughs> off my body. <laughs> Did it work? It, it didn't happen, but I didn't have the nipple sucky-outy thing. So also maybe the hair. The hair bothers them. The hair is, yeah, <laughs> waiter, there's a hair in my soup, of course. <laughs> so, yeah, we've had couples, especially two mom couples, mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. one will give birth, but they can both breastfeed. Absolutely. Um, it's a case of nipple stimulation, of hormones, and of taking that baby to breast. The and body just... Uh, would be similar with the surrogate. Yes, exactly. So I have had a client who has successfully had two babies by a surrogate, and she wanted to breastfeed, and she did. She Thank did. You. She They, they had a, um, an agreement with the mother that the baby would have her colostrum and then she pumped and they stashed some of her breast milk together because it can take a minute 
generally anything in lactation is two weeks <laughs> before your milk supply settles, before it ups, before it lessens. The cycle takes about two weeks. So I would just say people out there that are in this sort of situation is just to be mindful of that, that nothing happens quickly. Yeah, maybe I didn't give it a long enough try. I think so. <laughs> or maybe <laughs> I just didn't have a good enough a lactation helper. I didn't know you back then. Yeah, there you go. There was this one time where I was holding my baby and he uh, it was three months old and I had come out of the shower and I was wrapped in a towel watching a high-speed chase on uh, cable TV, let's just say. As you do. <laughs> As I, well, I don't, you know, it just caught my attention. Anyway, my wife put the baby in my arms and yeah. I wasn't fully conscious of it and all of a sudden I felt this awful sensation at the nipple <laughs> level. I was like, oh my God. And that was my first experience. Yeah, it happens. I mean, I'm sure, you know, I, I have a story of my daughter during doing the same thing. To my yeah, I was so grateful for the dimple cream, the nipple butter. It was nipple butter. It was so yeah, helpful. Chuck the nipple butter. Breast milk is by far the best oh, healer man. of wounded nipples. Well, if you could make your own, that's wonderful. But I had no luck there. So <laughs> I was saved by Earth Mama Angel Baby. Yes, also a good one. Okay, so let's say somebody gives birth and then, you know, let's say six weeks, eight weeks later, they become sexually active again. Is there a change in the hormones? Does breastfeeding affect getting back into sexual activity or vice versa? So I find it can be a mental thing. I know a lot of women that while they are breastfeeding don't feel comfortable doing it and their body, because there's something in their mind they don't feel comfortable doing, their body follows suit. And then I know some women who actually will have sex while breastfeeding because it's the only time that that can happen. Multitasking? Multitasking. Yeah. I mean, that's hashtag momming and it's... <laughs> All right. So if someone breastfeeds and while they're breastfeeding, they get pregnant again, mm. does that affect lactation? I mean, we know lactation sort of affects your ability to get pregnant, but not mm -hmm. as well as people think. <laughs> yes. A whole bunch of uh, babies come through the office where people are like, I don't know how I got pregnant and breastfeeding. Right. Irish twins. It's a thing. So very specific circumstances have to happen to be able to use breastfeeding as a prophylactic. You know, the baby has to be within, I think it's within the first three months of life. You have to be solely breastfeeding. So no bottle, no substitution. You can't have your period because once you get your period back, that's also another factor your body's ready. And the last factor is you need to be co-sleeping with your baby. And even then, it's not 100%. So it can happen. <laughs> what about the other way? So if you do get pregnant while you're breastfeeding, can you keep breastfeeding? Does it change anything? Uh, you can continue to breastfeed. Eventually, you will see a dip in your production. And that's just because your hormones are changing. Um, I've heard that it changes the flavor of the milk and sometimes babies pick up on that and reject it. That's 100% true. It can absolutely happen. It's the same for mothers who continue nursing once they have their period. A lot of them experience fussiness in their babies when they're menstruating because it, it tastes different. Did you taste your own breast milk? I did. What does it taste like? It's like almond milk. <laughs> Oh, really? Yes. But is that just because you're so nutty? Oh, you know. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really sweet. It's I, I would say like vanilla almond milk, you know. 
Oh, not just the unsweetened vanilla almond milk. No, 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 you know, the vanilla, like the legit stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like if I breathe breast milk, it would be more like oat milk. I, mean, I don't know why. I just felt I'm a more of an oat kind of guy. You're an oat kind of guy. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Now that you told me you don't have to have a baby. You can do it. I believe in you. (laughs) I'm I'm starting a project today. We'll see. I can't wait to taste my own man breast milk. (laughs) Man milk. Good. So we blew through our whole time and I didn't even get to ask you all the questions that I had on my mind, which means, you know what? You'll have to come back one time. Part two. Part two. I would love to schmooze with you again. And, you know, I said at the beginning, I wish you were more open and not so shy. I know. I'm super shy. I, you know, I really watch my words. <laughs> but now <laughs> now the audience knows, like, why well, you're a great guest for this topic. Because there's nothing, you know, that I mean, you're super I just, easy I, to talk to. And there's nothing that you, you won't just be open about. So I, mean, I appreciate I, I hope, you. Thank you. I appreciate you. Um, I hope that someone heard something that they can take away from it. And, and I can help. Thanks for having this forum and for being such a, gosh, such a pillar of stone in all of the birthing community. It's amazing. Oh, thanks, Jamie. I have a question for you. Where mm. can we find you online? So I am part of the Loom Doula Collective. You can also contact me over Instagram at Jamie Lips Garcia. Jamie Lips Garcia? How does Jamie Lips Garcia. How do you spell <laughs> Jamie Lips Garcia? J-A-I-M-E-L-I-P-S-G-A-R-C-I-A. Oh, you're not kidding. It's really Jamie Lips Garcia. Jamie Lips Garcia, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I tend to work more through word of mouth. I like to keep it small and sensitive. Nice. I'm grateful for you joining us today at home. I'm grateful for you listening to our podcast. We've been getting more feedback than ever, and sometimes it's like great topic suggestions. And then sometimes it's just questions. And some of the questions that I asked today are questions that were submitted by audience members. And so we put a whole bunch of them together, got an amazing expert, and answered your questions. If you have more questions or comments, write to us at info at informedpregnancy.com. I got a whole lot of questions for you.